You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Draft Podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined, as always, by Peter Flaherty. We are coming to the end of the regular season here. We got some nice playoff races down the stretch, and we're also... Uh, finishing up our draft review series today, we're going to do the NL West draft reviews. That'll be six of six for us. Peter, it, it, the time has flown, both in terms of the regular season and in terms of these draft reviews. How does it feel to be kind of finished with this? And then I guess we'll look ahead to the 2024 class after that, maybe some other draft talk, but it's been fun to do these. Yeah, I know. I was going to say it's been it's bittersweet to finish these up because I like <laughs> recapping who all these orgs took and kind of how they're doing so far in professional baseball, but I am excited about the 2024 class and it'll be fun to, to talk about a lot of the guys going forward. Yeah. And I think I said this at the very beginning, but one of the trickier things with just draft coverage over the years for me, at least at BA is you spend all this time covering the draft itself as it's, as it's ongoing. And then as, as soon as the draft finishes, you almost feel like you don't have time to step back and review and recap and see how some of these guys do in pro ball. It's almost like handing the draft guys off to the pro guys and then we're moving on to the next draft class. So it is nice to, to kind of look at some guys, um, see who's popped in pro ball, just examine some classes with a little more depth. It's been fun. I, I think it's been informative for me just talking through the classes with you. I know there are just some players that you get a little bit of a refresher on and then even some players that, that you bring up that I necessarily wouldn't have brought up that it's just informative. Uh, hopefully that's also the case for the listeners because uh, I know for me, I've, I've learned a lot just going back over these guys with you and it's been fun. So um, one more to go. Let's just jump into it. We've got the NL West. So obviously the Dodgers are first up. No surprise there. Uh, even though I think even I had uh, the Padres predicted for first place in the NL West. It's, a, it's another lesson learned. Just never don't pick the Dodgers until they actually show us they, they can lose the division. But Let's hop in here with the Dodgers. They had their first round pick drop 10 spots. So their first round pick is technically not inside the first round, but I think it still officially counts as a first round pick at number 36 overall. They took high school outfielder Kendall George. In the second round, they took Virginia third baseman Jake Geloff. In the third round, they took high school right-handed pitcher Brady Smith. In the fourth round, they took left-handed pitcher Wyatt Crowell out of Florida State. They had two compensation picks after the fourth round, but their first one, they took Texas outfielder Dylan Campbell. 
Then they took Middle Tennessee State right-handed pitcher Eric Swan. And then finally, in the fifth round, they took Boston College first baseman Joe Vitrano. So I'm not so, so sure that it's it's great for baseball to be giving the Dodgers this many extra picks, even if their first-round pick was dropped. But clearly, they've got a lot of players here to talk through. Uh, maybe a bit of an interesting draft, uh, just given how the board kind of played out for the Dodgers. But what are your first initial thoughts on, on this draft class, Peter? I was going to say, describing it as an interesting draft, I think that's a a perfect adjective for this class um, because the Dodgers, I mean, at least for me, they're one of probably four or five orgs in baseball where I really pay close, close attention to to anyone that they draft. Um, They seem to really maximize the potential with each prospect um, and do an outstanding job developmentally. So um, I think starting with Kendall George, you'll be more um, well-versed in him given that he's a prep guy, but I see a lot of Enrique Bradfield in him. It's arguably 80 grade speed um, slash and dash type guy. He's going to have to really hit, which so far um, early on he did in Rancho Cucamonga. I think he hit um, over 360. The bat to ball skills are above average. Um, the speed and athleticism are going to allow him to stick in center field where I think he's a strong defender, at least what I saw. Um, not going to hit for much power really at all, but he's got an advanced feel for the barrel, um, a knack for putting the ball in play. I think that, um, you know, this is a guy that that they can be really excited about. I know watching him, um, I was also really excited about him. Yeah, Kendall George as the first pick is fascinating. I think he went earlier than really the industry expected. And I even think for the Dodgers, too, he maybe went earlier than they expected. I heard some chatter very shortly after the draft that the Dodgers just happened to be in one of those situations where a lot of the guys they were focused on went right in front of them. And there was some talk that I think even Kendall might have said this himself after he was selected. Like he knew the Dodgers were interested in him, but he thought it was for a later pick. They wind up taking him. I don't think it's necessarily a bad strategy. If you get your pocket picked uh, and you're kind of scrambling on the clock on draft day, take a guy that you like, sign him to an underslot deal. Um, so you, you kind of ensure that you get the player that, that you really were maybe focusing on for a later pick. Um, still get a good talent. They had $500,000 of savings for him there with that pick. So um, just the draft day dynamics of picking 36 and, and trying to line up your board, like, it's got to be impossible. I know I talked to scouting directors just for mock draft reporting. Like no one really knows what's going on once you get outside of like the first five to 10 picks. After that, it gets really dicey. So picking last overall, picking 36 overall, I imagine there's tons of scenarios that you just hadn't planned for that actually materialize on draft day. Uh, but I think you you outlined Kendall George really good. I think we mentioned the Enrique Bradfield Jr. comp in his scouting report. Um if you look up three years from now, if he had gone to college and, and hit offensively like Bradfield did, it wouldn't be surprising at all to see that player turn into a legitimate first-round profile. Um, so if he does hit, I think it could be some good value there, uh, even despite the fact that maybe we had him ranked a little bit further down the board. So that one's interesting. And then moving on to maybe more your bread and butter, although Jake Geloff was was pretty close to where I was at this spring. Kind of an opposite profile in, in almost every way you could think of, physically, offensively college versus high school Geloff is obviously the younger brother of Zach Geloff who had a pretty strong year at the major league level one of the best power hitters in Virginia's program history I mean I think it's power over hit for me I have some questions about the approach and just the overall swing I think he can get a little bit aggressive at times it's a strikeout rate around 20 percent so it's not a crazy swing and miss uh, rate for his career, but I do think he expands the zone a little bit too frequently, and I'll be curious to see 
how he sort of adjusts to pro pitching. Um, so far, I think he has the highest strikeout rate of this class in pro ball among the 10 or so players that have actually gotten started with a, around a 30% K rate in pro ball. But that does come with six homers. It comes with nine doubles. So he's got some power. Um, so you're kind of uh, mixing a speedy up the middle defensive uh, premium projection or premium position player with Kendall George and then adding some power with Jake Geloff one too. So that's kind of an intriguing back and forth there. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you in that it's going to be power over hit. There's going to be a lot of swing and miss with Geloff. I mean, especially with that operation at the plate, um, it's a pretty big swing. It's at times, it's obviously tailored to get the ball up in the air. Um, and when he gets it, it goes, whether it's with wood or metal, you obviously referenced the career year at UVA with 23 doubles, 23 bombs hit 320. Um, but the approach and bat to ball skills are going to need to take a step forward. I think, um, the, their, the chase rate, I think is low, at least, um, in, in low a Rancho Cucamonga, I believe it was 20 or 21%. Nice. Um, but the bat to ball skills are, are a bit lacking. There's just a lot of, a lot of swing, just a lot of miss in general, um, in his game, at least with that swing and in his operation, I saw a little bit of it, um, two summers ago or yeah, two summers ago, 2022, when he was in Harwich, um, on the Cape league, it was a very brief stint for them. Um, but there was a, a, a lot of swing and miss some, some pitch recognition issues, um, and I think he's fine over at third base defensively. I think that um, he'll just kind of be adequate throughout his career. And um, yeah, he know. actually kind of surprised me. I expected him to be a, a bad or a poor defensive third baseman when I saw him. And he made a few nice plays running into the ball. I kind of agree with you. I think the best case scenario is he's just fine at the position. But I, he did move around a little bit better and made a few throws on the run with some some decent body control plays that I was I was kind of surprised about just given his reputation and, and just the physique that he has as a player there. Yeah. I saw the same thing in Omaha. There were a couple of plays, especially going to the glove side, which is where I thought that he was most comfortable moving. Um, where I was like, okay, like, you know, that's a nice play, you know, going up the middle or again, mm -hmm. coming into the baseball, but um, fine defender over there. I think there's always going to be plenty of strikeouts and swing and miss with Geloff, but I think you're just going to have to take that with the 20, 25 home run, probably, perhaps 30 home run upside that he's going to bring. So you're going to take that with, with what he brings um, with the bat. Yeah, absolutely. I want to kind of, and I'll let you talk about other, other players that you like on day two as well, but Jaron Elkins is a guy I just want to highlight. He was taken in the eighth round out of good pasture Christian high school in Tennessee. Um, he played with Carson Rucker, who was also a, a prominent, not a prominent, but a, uh, I think we had him ranked on the BA 500. So if that counts as prominent, then he was prominent, but he wasn't like a super highly rated um, prospect in this class, but notable, the two players drafted out of that high school. I think Elkins was maybe the less noteworthy player entering the spring. And then when he was taken, I, I really didn't know much about him. Uh, and, and like you mentioned earlier, when the Dodgers are selecting players, I'm always really intrigued by what they see because they have probably the best track record of scouting and player development in, in baseball. Uh, he sounds fascinating. It's it's a really impressive athlete with lots of tools, plus speed, plus arm strength, a pretty compact direct swing from the right side, um, chance to stick in center field. So I, I think there probably are, at least around the industry, more questions about what he is as a hitter offensively. He hasn't played a lot of pro games so far. I think he just had four plate appearances, actually. But I'm really intrigued by him. Uh, moving forward, just the tool set and, and what the Dodgers have been able to do with their hitting development. 
makes me really excited about a player like Elkins, who they got for an overslot signing in the eighth round, just just around four hundred and seven thousand dollars. Yeah, hearing you talk about him gets me fired up about him, especially being in the Dodgers organization. Admittedly, mm-hmm. I don't know too much about him, um, but that little primer, um, he sounds like a really exciting guy. So I'm, I'll absolutely follow him. I think going <laughs> deep, going deeper into the draft, or I guess a little bit deeper. Um, I think, you know, maybe the pick for the Dodgers that I was most excited about, um, in their entire draft class was Eric Swan, um, fourth yeah. round pick at a middle Tennessee state, um, towering six, six right-handed pitcher. He's 98 to one one with his fastball. And it's a really easy 98 to one one At least that's what I think. He's got a high eighties power slider that I think is eventually going to be a, a legit plus wipeout pitch down the road, especially um, with the development that he'll get in the Dodgers. Um, and already, even at Middle Tennessee State, I think, you know, it, it has its fair share of depth. I think just refining it um, is is going to be key. And then the changeup could be a quality third pitch. It played fine at the collegiate level, um, especially in the Conference USA. I don't know how it'll be professionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he can get it to solid average, I think that would be, um, that would help a lot. And I think, you know, with, even some mechanical tweaks. Um, there could even be more velo in there um, and some overall effectiveness, just getting a little bit deeper on his backside, pitching against a, a firmer front side. Um, mm. It just, I, I think refining the the delivery would, would even go a long way to maximizing his upside. And there's obviously, um, there's some reliever risk. Uh, there were some command issues at school. Um, but again, the Dodgers getting this kind of clay to mold, I think is really, really enticing. Yeah, that is a fun one. I'll go back to another high school player, more of a projection prospect than than Swan is. But six-rounder Brian Gonzalez, uh, taken out of Carlos Beltran Baseball Academy, uh, it's a deeper it's a deeper projection player. But again, those players with the Dodgers just have a little bit more confidence that they're going to be able to get the most out of these players or add what they need to in the future. Especially offensively, they just seem to do a really good job with hitters. Um, there is some contact ability here, but I think you're going to want to see him layer on strength, get a little bit more physical in the next few years or so. Currently, he's he's only 5'10", 160 pounds, definitely undersized now. Uh, I think he struggled in his pro debut just getting started, which honestly, with a player of this profile, I probably would have expected. He He's sort of the player type that you almost worry about in this new minor league system. Are they getting squeezed out of the game because they do need so much time just to develop physically and just to refine sort of the offensive game. Uh, and with the, the smaller minor league system, there are just fewer opportunities for players like that. So I'm hopeful that, that they can be patient with him. Um, he is a, a pretty solid defender. I think there's some contact skills that he has as a, maybe a foundational tool for his offensive ability, but I imagine you're going to be seeing quite a different player three years from now than, than what he looks like today, just based on the physical development he should go through. So he's an interesting one that maybe if you're like a super prospect junkie and a Dodgers fan that you're, you're not really looking forward to who's going to help you next year, but just in the lower levels of the system, Gonzalez is a name that I would uh, target for you. Nice. I think the the one guy that I wanted to highlight last, or, or maybe not last, but one guy I really wanted to highlight was ninth round pick Ryan Brown. Um, out of Ball State. Mm-hmm. I think it's reliever all the way here. Yeah. Um, but I, I think this is a Dodger special, so to speak. He threw his changeup <laughs> 54% of the time at Ball State. Um, it had a Division One leading 70% miss rate. I have to imagine that that'd be tops in all of college baseball. Um, but what I saw was Division One leader. 
Um, 70% miss rate. It's a legit double plus pitch. He'll throw it to both righties and lefties. Um, it just falls off. He maintains his arm speed really well. Um, it's a super quick arm. He moves really well. Great athlete on the mound. Fastball to 95. Uh, it's scary to think what the Dodgers could turn this into um, mm. in, in a few years' time. He's coming off Tommy John, so it'll be a little while before you see him in affiliated baseball. But um, this guy screams fast mover, high impact arm in the back end of a bullpen. Yeah, that's a good one as well. That that changeup is filthy. The, the miss rate that you mentioned with that sort of usage is is pretty crazy. I think in college he had around 13 inches of of horizontal movement, and in addition to just a ton of drop that he gets on the pitch. So it's a it's a really impressive one. I'm a sucker for a good changeup, and Ryan Brown certainly has one of those. Um, those are all the names I wanted to highlight. Are there any day three guys that you like? Um, I know Alex Makarovich is is kind of an exciting JUCO day three arm, 13th rounder. He's got some intriguing stuff. I think the the breaking ball, low 80 slider, maybe needs some more consistency, but when it's on, I think it's a solid pitch that that could be a missed pitch in pro ball. So he's an intriguing sort of arm talent um, that maybe you want a little bit more refinement moving forward. He struggles with some walks. The 14% walk rate he had uh, this spring is probably not what you want to see. So if they can get him to throw more strikes, I like the arm talent there. But any other guys you want to mention here on day three before we move on? Yeah, two really quick. 12th rounder Noah Rune from Tyler Junior College. Um, 6'4", 195. Really unique profile for, for a submarine guy, um, both given his size and then also the fact he's up to 94 um, from mm. down under, and it's not like low three quarters. It's not sidearm. Like He's from he's, he's a true subby, and it's 91 to 94 um, with plenty of life, sliders, flash plus. Um, again, just, I think a unique profile nowadays and an interesting one. He's already been effective, um, in low a, um, 290 RA with 12 Ks and 12 innings pitched. And then Luke Fox in the 17th. Um, I think being able to sign him, um, was a big win late for 200 K. Uh, he had a ton of buzz at Duke as a true freshman dealt with his dealt with injuries, um, was hurt again this year. Um, but he was really impressive in the fall. He was up to 95 with the fastball. Slider and changeup were both potential plus pitches and, and profiled as such. Um, and the ball jumps out of his hand from a from a deceptive three-quarter slot. So uh, starter material there, potentially, you know, solid fourth, borderline three starter upside. Um, so a couple interesting signings. Yeah, absolutely. The Dodgers got a lot of picks this year, add a lot of talent to a farm system that's pretty much always top 10 in the league. And I don't expect that to change anytime soon. So uh, congrats Dodgers fans. Your, your team is still plugging along, uh, but moving on to the <laughs> D backs, they had the 12th overall pick this year in the first round. They used that pick to go with Stanford shortstop, Tommy Troy. Uh, in the second round, they took North Carolina state third baseman, Lou James Groover, also known as Gino Groover in the uh, second supplemental round they took Caden Grice left-handed pitcher out of Clemson in the third round they took Virginia Tech outfielder Jack Hurley in the fourth round they took Alabama left-handed pitcher Grayson Hitt and in the fifth round they took San Diego third baseman Kevin Sim so uh, this is a Peter Peter Flaherty specialty here I don't think they signed a single high school player in this draft class <laughs> uh, they took one late on day three did not sign him their their final 20th round pick they didn't sign uh, Dominic Vogel. Otherwise, it was all college. They signed the entire class outside of Vogel, and it's a lot of prominent Power Five um, names to know. So, if anyone can break this class down, Peter, I think you can. But I think we both really like Tommy Troy to start things out. What, what do you got on this class? 
Yeah, I was going to say, starting out with Tommy Troy, um, that was a pick I was a huge fan of um, when it happened. He actually went right after Nolan Shanoel. Um, it's above average to, to plus tools across the board with him. Um, it's a tantalizing hit power combination, really electric hands at the plate. Um, he generates serious buggy whip with the bat. Um, the barrel really accelerates to the zone. Um, it's a really strong wood bat track record of driving the baseball into either gap, high quality impact. Um, and he plays a lot bigger than his size might suggest. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's legit, you know, I, I don't want to get too bullish with it. I think there's at least 2020 upside with Troy um, borderline. That seems, that seems perfectly 25. reasonable. I think. Yeah. I think borderline 25, 25 upside um, with him. I think it's, Hey, if Corbin Carroll can get to those 25 homers, I don't think anyone saw that coming when he was in high school. So yeah, given the hand speed and the the strength that he has, I don't think that's crazy at all. I like that. Yeah, no, I, I think that there's, there's serious upside here with Troy um, positionally. I know they've been using him at shortstop early on, but I think long-term, at least at the big league level, um, I think you're going to get him over. I think he's going to be a second baseman long-term, but um, he's a good athlete. He has range in either direction at the position. Um, and his game clock has really improved, especially at shortstop. Um, so I think, I mean, you're looking at, in my opinion, I think an impact big leaguer down the road. Hmm. Yeah, this draft is a lot of like bat first position players who who do have some positional questions. You mentioned Troy. I don't know if it's necessarily much of like a, a question mark about his defense, more just the fact that most people seem to think he's probably going to slide off shortstop, which is fine. Uh, but then you have Gino Groover, who is is taken as a third baseman. I think there's some defensive questions with him, but but certainly was an impressive hitter in college. I think outside of Nolan Shanuel, he had maybe the best combination of exit velocity, contact ability, and chase rate. Just overall, it's a pretty special trio of skills that, that he showcased at the college level. So I think there's a lot to like about the just pure hitting ability with Groover. I'm curious how that power is going to translate to pro ball and a wood bat. Um, but I did talk to some scouts who, who really liked him, maybe even as high as back of the first round. So I know some people really went out on a limb just based on the hit tool with Groover and are really excited about him. Uh, going further down, you've got a guy like Kevin Sim, uh, who also has been kind of this bat first player who might move off third base so defensive questions um and some power that you're going to get with him and then they also package these bat first hitters with with power armed left-handed pitchers there's a lot of i would say all of their pitchers in this class it took Caden grice grayson hit who we mentioned then they also have philip abner and ryan bruno all from the left side so clearly they were putting a priority on getting some southpaws uh in the system here but especially with grice and hit a lot of arm talent and i think maybe less less strike throwing ability and refinement than you might want to see i mean hit was a guy who coming out of last fall he had taken some steps forward with the stuff uh and people were expecting him to jump up draft boards that didn't fully materialize i think entering the year i would have expected him to to definitely be top three rounds it was just a bit more scattered and sprayed so if they can get hit and if they can get grice just to throw more strikes consistently there's a lot of just pure arm talent here with both these players but i kind of went all over the board peter Uh, i'll let you take it wherever you want to go no, I was going to circle back to Gino Groover really quick because we share some of the same sentiments. Um, he was obviously really impressive at NC State. Um, the exit velocities took a huge jump. Um, I, I do have questions with the wood bat impact. Um, I think that he's going to really, really have to hit and be a hit over power guy um, professionally, which I'm not saying he can't, but I think that's what um, he's going to have to be. And I also do think 
that long term he does end up over at first base as opposed to third but it's a really loose and easy swing he does a great job of working inside the baseball um handles velocity well and he hit well so far um they they had him up at high a hillsborough where where i think he hit reasonably well and um you mentioned the bat to ball skills are the calling card it was a 93 percent in zone contact rate at nc state um overall 85 percent contact rate so um he's going to move the baseball uh it's just a, a matter of how hard he'll impact it and then with bryce He's a really interesting pick for a lot of reasons. Obviously, with any time you have a two-way player, you're going to be excited about it. I'm curious to see how they handle that and what he does long-term. Um, I think uh, it's it's weird because I go back and forth on what he is long-term so much because at the plate, you've got 70-grade raw power. Um, he's a strong defender over at first. Um, I, I think that's it. It's an appealing package over, you know, on, on the offensive side of the ball, but on the mound, he's up to 95 with an above average borderline plus slider and effective changeup. He started 14 games at Clemson this year where he handled a full season workload. It's an interesting profile. I have to imagine. And, and I mean, he's a six, six lefty above all else. So I have to imagine that they're going to let him do both yeah. at least early on. And then just kind of, you know, seeing how he does um, make that final decision as to, you know, who, who Caden Grace is. Understandably, he got shut down after um, throwing 78 innings at Clemson this year because previously, collegiately, if you take his first two seasons at Clemson and then also his summer on the Cape, he had thrown, I think, just 26 and two-thirds innings um, mm-hmm. in his collegiate career, whereas this year he threw 78. So, um, you know. They shut him down, but I think that going forward, I'll be really excited to follow him. And then with Grayson Hitt, as you mentioned, out of the fall last year, he had maybe the some of the biggest buzz of any arm in the country. Which yeah, sounds I feel drastic. like it was him and him and Nathan Detmer were the two. I feel like we were hearing about constantly. Yeah, but it was that loud with Hit in the in the fall, and it was a I think his fastball was up to ninety five, ninety six with a with a slider that everyone was saying you know had taken some some big steps forward, the command and control had progressed well, which was a big key for him in the spring. He was just okay. There were flashes of what he was in the fall, but again, the command and control were a little bit of a bugaboo. I think directionally he can improve a little bit and um, staying healthy is going to be a key for him as well. Yeah, absolutely. One other player I wanted to mention is Jack Hurley, who, who I do think doesn't really fit that mold of like bat first defensive question marks. I think he's got a chance to be, a pretty good defender and, and maybe pretty good in all three outfield positions. He's a plus runner who moved from a corner spot to center field after Gavin Cross left uh, at Virginia Tech. But but he's kind of interesting. I think I would have maybe expected him to go somewhere inside of the top two rounds, just given his offensive performance uh, this spring. He hit 324-14, um, with a career-high 17 home runs. He hits the ball hard. It's an aggressive swing. It's an aggressive approach. It was a 19% strikeout rate to just 9.5% walk rate. But there are some fun tools here. It's a left-handed hitter with power and speed uh, and solid defensive ability. So that's an intriguing one. He did strike out quite a bit in pro ball in his debut. But I think it was a pretty productive debut, 276, 374, 409. Again, 30% strikeout rate. That maybe is going to be the biggest offensive question for him, just how much contact he's going to make. Uh, but a few extra base hits, 10 steals, and caught just once. I think he does a lot. Uh, he's a fun player to watch, maybe not the most picturesque swing, um, 
but but he's very exciting, I would say, as a player. And I think third round for that sort of tool set in college production, I think is a pretty good value. Yeah, you summarize that perfectly, and I'm happy you touched on him. And, and you mentioned getting him in the third round. There was big-time day one buzz with him, even leading up to the draft, um, and, and it's an exciting tool set. So um, I think he's got a chance to, again, be really, really effective. There's an opportunity for him, I think, to stick in center field. Um, it's legit bat speed and, and there's impact there to all fields too. So, um, mm. exciting package all around with Hurley. Yeah. I, I just got one guy that I want to mention on day three. Maybe it's an obvious name, uh, but it's, it's one of the most exciting names and that's Sam Knowlton, right-handed pitcher out of South Alabama. One of the hardest throwing players in the class. I believe he averaged around 97 has been up to 101 at peak velocity. It definitely seems like he's much more of a thrower than a pitcher at this point. He's really going to need to figure out how to put that ball over the plate more often because I think on just velocity alone, it can play if he can just throw some strikes. Um, he's flashed a slider that has a chance to be a decent pitch. He's thrown a hard up as well, but he needs more feel for pretty much everything. Uh, so I think on day three, I really like it a lot. I mean, I thought on talent he had a chance to be a top five-round pick. Maybe everyone else was, was just scared about the performance overall. But the fact that you get this sort of arm talent on day three, again, I think it's it's good value, even if there's considerable risk here uh, about what he's going to be as a pitcher. Yeah, a lot of relievers for the D-backs um, on days two and three, which is an interesting approach, but they all have their, I think, in their own right, some pretty significant upside. Nolton, as you mentioned, might be, you know, have the biggest ceiling of everyone. Um, but again, it's 20 command and control right now. So that'll have to improve. And he threw his fastball 83% of the time slider. I think just, I, I think 13 or 14. Um, but from what I saw on video, I mean, he doesn't throw it at all often, but I think that down the road, that's going to be a legit wipeout pitch. Um, the fastball yeah. obviously is the calling card, but I, I saw promise in the slider and then, Going up the board a little bit, Ryan Bruno in the seventh, another one of those fireballing relievers um, from the left side. He's been up to 96, 97, um, even higher than that. Uh, the the velo did dip a little bit at Stanford this year, especially when he'd work past an inning or two. Um, and he he also does need Tommy John surgery. So he, he got that done. And again, it'll be a little while before he's in affiliated baseball. But change up his borderline double plus. Um, the, the command with Bruno is going to have to improve. We saw it kind of bite him in the butt a little bit in supers, um, and really throughout his college career. So I think improving that is going to be a key for, for Ryan going forward. But I think at his best, you have an effective back end reliever and then going even further down the board in the 16th round, Matthew Linsky from rice, I thought was an interesting pick six, seven, two sixty five righty. Um, fastball is up to 97 with a plus slider. It's a lot of two, two plus pitch guys with command issues, which I, I think is a, an interesting upside play. There's obviously risk associated with all of these, but mm -hmm. I think if, you know, two or, or one of them really hit, you're looking at, uh, a solid future, um, in the back end of your big league bullpen. So. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how, how all three of these guys pan out. Really, there are more here, but those were the three main ones. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move down the list. We've got the Padres up next. Uh, they were picking number 25 overall. They also had a few picks they were missing. They did not have a second-round pick or a fifth-round pick, so fewer names to just go through at the beginning here, but the Padres are always a fun draft to analyze. They just seem 
much less risk averse than, than every other organization. I think there are some ways that that, that held true this year. Uh, they took Dylan Head, a high school outfielder, at number 25 overall in the first round. In the third round, they took John Daniel Gonzalez, Puerto Rican catcher, uh, one of the best Puerto Rican prospects in the class. In the fourth round, they took Grand Canyon University outfielder Homer Bush. Um, so at least their first three picks is a lot of up-the-middle premium defensive profiles. I think both Head and Bush maybe have a more advanced reputation um, of their actual, like how polished their defense is at this point. I think Gonzalez, at least in the times that I've seen him and in some of the chatter that I've had from some scouts, he needs to clean up some things defensively, but with a plus-plus throwing arm, he's got a chance to really be um, control the running game at the at the big league level, considering all the steals that we have. I think that's a that's an asset that you really can't sleep on too much, especially a catcher, that, that arm strength. It was pretty massive. Uh, but yeah, no pitchers in these first. I think you really have to go to the seventh round before the Padres took their first pitcher, and that was a two-way player in Tucker Musgrove. But I'll just throw it to you, Peter. What are your thoughts on uh, the Padres class and maybe some of the guys at the top? Yeah, interesting class overall. I, I like their draft. Dylan Head, obviously, starting off with a headliner. Um, it's an elite-level athlete. He's got a line drive approach. He'll spray the ball to all fields. He's a plus defender in center, um, where I think his plus his double-plus speed and athleticism really shine. Mm. And I think that he's going to stick in center long-term, which getting a, a no-doubt premium position guy, shortstop, center fielder, um, is a, is a big key. So I think getting him 25th, he was a guy again, going into the draft, he had some serious helium to his name. There were his top 15 mm -hmm. chatter with him, um, maybe even early teens. So I think they were thrilled to see him fall into their laps at 25. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious to see both what head and Bush are able to do offensively. I think they're both like, like they have similar profiles, they're runners, they have a chance for average or above average pure hit tools. And then the power is the real question. Uh, I think especially for Homer Bush, we put 30 grade power on him in our scouting report, but he actually looked a lot more physical than I was expecting him to look at the combine his pro debut. He homered three times. He had a 439 slug. So that's encouraging to see. Um, I'm not sure exactly what his like home run production will settle into, but even if he's a guy who can just burn out the gaps, turn a lot of singles into doubles, and be a threat on the bases, I mean, he sold 22 bags already in his pro debut. So I think no matter how much power he's he's going to hit for, he has a chance to be a dynamic player on the bases. Um, you got two really good defenders here with Head and Bush. I think, I mean, Head was one of the best defensive outfielders in the class overall as a high schooler. Um, he's got good arm strength, it's a double plus run, and I, and I really like his approach offensively as well. Even if you even if you don't expect him to be more than a below average power hitter, I just think he does so much uh, on the baseball field that he'll have a chance to impact the game in a number of ways. He also had a pretty solid pro debut, uh, 267, 363, 400. Still a few bags, maybe not the same efficiency that Homer Bush had with his, his 22 for 24, but... Um, a lot of good athletes here at the top of the draft. And like I said, premium defensive profiles. Yeah. I'm happy you hit on Bush because I, I think getting him in the fourth round is, is a steal. He's a long limbed, you know, six, three, 200 pound center fielder. He covers plenty of ground. He, he moves really, really well in the outfield. Um, really long strides, gets great off the bat reads. There's obviously bloodlines there with his dad, Homer Bush senior. Um, playing in the major leagues for the Yankees. 
And I'm with you that it's going to have to be hit over power. The bat to ball skills are advanced. I think it was an 83% overall contact rate um, at Grand Canyon this spring. But again, where he's going to be able to, you know, turn a double into a triple, a single into a double, I think that'll play well. And he's a plus runner, which, as we mentioned, it plays well both in center field and then also obviously on the base paths where he's going to be able to affect the game in a handful of ways and and have his fingerprints all over the box score night in and night out. And they they promoted him to double A for the last week, week and a half of the season. And he actually held his own. He went 20, he went 12 for 28 with a double. Um only struck out twice, stole a bag. So I I think that again, you're looking at at, at someone who I could be, you know, an average big leaguer potentially um hmm. down the road. Yeah, the Padres took a, a similar strategy to most teams in the sense that they saved money early on uh, to spread around a little bit later. One of the guys they put that money towards was eighth-rounder Cannon Kemp, a high school right-handed pitcher out of Texas. Again, the Padres don't ever seem to be too hesitant to take high school right-handed pitchers, which is a pretty notoriously risky profile. Again, with high school catcher, they also did J.D. Gonzalez in the second. So no, no worries uh, for the risk here with AJ Preller, unsurprising, but he's kind of an interesting projection pitcher. Again, might take some time. Six foot six, two hundred and twenty-five pounds, long limbs, but surprisingly a short arm stroke. Despite those long limbs, he's been up to ninety-three, ninety-four. Looks like the sort of player who's going to gain more velocity in the future as well. Uh, decent feel for a mid-eighties changeup, and also has a high spin curveball that I think, as he adds more power to it, could could turn into a solid or above-average pitch as well. So that's kind of their big. Uh, big money pick later in the draft. If you're if you're getting beyond sort of the first players that come off that came off the board, he was an interesting pick. And then I think the Padres are also notable in the, in the fact that they spent so much on day three. They spent two hundred thousand dollars on Carson Montgomery in the eleventh. They spent five hundred thousand dollars on Blake Dickerson in the twelfth, who was viewed as a top five round talent. And then they also took high school right-handed pitcher Dane Lays and gave him three hundred fifty thousand. I think they were the second most aggressive team in terms of day three signings um so just an interesting look into their strategy and i think a lot of a lot of talent that could really pay off like if carson montgomery and blake dickerson especially wound up being really good pitchers it wouldn't shock me montgomery is a guy who's, who's still trying to rediscover the prospect value that he had when he entered college as one of the highest ranking players uh from the 2020 class to get to campus he never really performed i think there's some fastball shape or deception questions with him uh and then blake dickerson is more of this like projectable touch and feel lefty who's going to need to add a little bit more power. But I think all three of these guys they took on day three are really exciting. Yeah. Montgomery, especially. And I think, as you said, rediscovering and recapturing that notoriety and, and status he had entering college is, is paramount, but it's, I, I think he's a starter, you know, it's a thick lower half hides the ball really well. Fastball is, is lively and, and pretty heavy, especially down in the zone. It's been up to 98. I think his slider is a is a true plus pitch. And and there was there was day one buzz with Montgomery coming into this year, even after his struggles um, at at school for his first two seasons. There were hopes that he would take a step forward and be that premier Friday, Saturday guy for a power five team. And it just he wasn't able to put it all together. The the control took a little bit of a step back. He got hit around, but I think that again, if you can have that type of arm talent available on, on day three and you go out and get him, you have to be happy with, with where you end up with him because there's a, you know, everyone knows what Montgomery has in the tank. It's just about getting him back to that point. And then 
deeper down the board, Eric Yost in the 17th from Northeastern. Um, he's a strike thrower. It's probably five starter upside at best. Um, but again, it, it's, you get a bona fide strike thrower fastball. He'll he'll pitch consistently in the low nineties with, um, I really like the slider and the curveball. So, um, I think you're getting a relatively high floor starter later on that you can be happy about. Yeah, I think those are kind of the big names of the Padres. I do think it's fascinating that for whatever reason, it seems like they maybe these are simply the best players on the board at the time because it, it wouldn't surprise me if the Padres just operated as simple as that. But just the fact that there are so many premium defensive profiles in this class. Um, I even think uh, Nick McClary, who we haven't really mentioned in the 10th round, he signed for just $25,000. Like, he had a pretty good reputation as a defensive uh, shortstop. I think he was actually the the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. So clearly, uh, whether it was just happenstance or a priority going into this draft, uh, a lot of a lot of premium defensive players taken. And maybe that's just kind of where the game is going. Uh, athletes are more valuable now in this game. Uh, having good defenders is more valuable now in this game. So uh, a fun one from the Padres. They're always good for a fun one. Let's move on to the Giants. Um, the Giants were picking eight or 16, excuse me, overall in the first round. They had one extra pick after the second round. Um, they took two-way player Bryce Eldridge, 16th overall in the first. They took Colorado shortstop Walker Martin in the second round uh, with their comp pick. After the second round, they took left-handed pitcher Joe Whitman out of Kent State. In the third round, they took Auburn shortstop Cole Foster. In the fourth round, they took Tennessee shortstop Maui Ahuna. And then in the fifth round, they took main second baseman Quinn McDaniel. Uh, I really like this draft class. I love the fact that the, the Giants were able to get both Eldridge and Walker Martin, uh, both of whom I view it as as first-round talents and two players that I, I particularly am a fan of. Uh, I know Walker had some, some medical questions kind of pop up on draft day that maybe allowed him to slide, but the fact that you get him for $3 million, you get Bryce Eldridge for $4 million, uh, and to see the pro debut that Bryce Eldridge had. I'm curious what you think about him as a pitcher or a hitter, Peter, because me and Ben have talked about this in the past. I'm very much in on him as a hitter and almost would prefer the team to develop him as such. But I do think he's a legitimate pitching prospect as well. I just think he has so much upside as a hitter. I want him to get as many at-bats as possible and focus as much as possible on that side of the ball because I do think he's got like Matt Olson type upside as a hitter, which is admittedly very loud this season, but his power is pretty special when he gets into the baseball. Uh, so Eldridge is a hitter. No, I I'm, I'm completely with you um, on, on being bought in as on who he is at the plate. Um, mm. it, you know, double borderline, double plus raw power. Um, he, he showed out really well in his pro debut. I know with guys that are, Six five, six six, six seven, like Bryce's. Um, there's obviously some risk with some length in the swing, some swing and miss. But mm. so far, he's shown off the ability to handle the bat really well while getting into that power. Um, I I agree that there is potential on the mound too, but I'd have him up at the plate and get him as as many at bats as possible going forward because I excuse me, I do think that he is a an impact big leaguer um, with the bat. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how they're going to use him as a two-way player. I would imagine they at least let him try it. Uh, although, I mean, maybe he likes hitting more. There are a lot of two-way players who who I think have more potential as pitchers who who would prefer to hit. Maybe that's actually the case with, with Bryce and he wants to hit too. But 
Uh, I think he would have definitely been like a top three round talent if he was just a pitcher only. Walker Martin is an extremely impressive athlete. I just like his his well rounded tool set. I think it's average or above average tools across the board. Um, he's a little bit older for the class, but I also just think in terms of pure athleticism, he's probably one of the more impressive athletes that you can get. So I'm really excited about his upside and potential uh, to just kind of do everything while playing a premium position. And then we get into a, a group of college players. I like Luke Schliger taken in the sixth round out of Maryland. I thought that was pretty good value. The Giants also got Jack Payton in the 11th round. So I think both like in a, in a class that I didn't think had a ton of great catching options, uh, especially on the college side. I think the Giants got two of the better ones uh, at, at spots that are pretty good value. But who are some other players who stand out for you in this Giants class, Peter? Yeah, and looking at holes in this year's draft class, we talked about two, college lefties and then also catching. And I think that they they went out and and got some of the best available in those demographics, starting with Joe Whitman in the second. Um, you know, he he has an interesting career path. He started off at Purdue, um, struggled there for two seasons, and then he entered the transfer portal where he wound up at Kent State. Um, a solid summer in 2022 for in the Northwoods league. And then also on the Cape kind of put him on the map. And then this year at Kent state, he, he exploded. Um, he won Mac pitcher of the year, two, five ERA with hundred K's and 81 innings pitched fastball took a huge leap. It was up to 95, 96 miles an hour. I think he even popped a, his PR this year in game was 97, but he'll pitch 92 to 95 with it and consistently touch a six. The slider is for my money's worth a, a 60 grade pitch. And then the changeup has has also been solid average and i really like the mound presence it's a nobody can beat me type of attitude um which i think has served him really well and then his one start on the cape i think solidified him as a as a day one guy um there was even first round chatter after it um maybe if he had put together a, a start or two more he would have been selected even mm -hmm. higher but he carved through a really good lineup his his full arsenal was on display i think it's it's solid three starter upside and again Similar with Eldridge in the early returns, Whitman has 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 been very good early on for the, at the complex and then also in San Jose. Yeah, I feel like we've said this a lot on this podcast. I'm kind of surprised that the Giants were able to get Whitman at 69. If you'd have placed an over under on that spot for him entering draft day, I definitely would have taken the under uh, or him going off the board earlier than that. You mentioned the the day one buzz. There was some first round buzz. And I think just given the lack of really high quality, high confidence options on the college left-hander demographic, it wouldn't have been surprising to me at all to see him go in the back of the first round. So what is the question mark with Whitman? Because when I look at him, I see the pitches you mentioned, above average fastball, plus slider, good changeup, above average control. He performed this year. It's field of spin. He just does a lot of things really well. And that's typically a profile that I feel like should go off the board higher than this. So are there any obvious question marks that you have with Whitman? Because I'm all over this pick. I think it's phenomenal. And like you said, it's nice to see a pretty strong debut, 13 strikeouts, three walks and 9.2 innings. Uh, I guess it's just all green flags for me with Whitman. I, I was going to say, I'm not sure there are any glaring ones. I mean, he checks so many boxes. You get a 6'5 lefty with some room to fill in. It's a starter pitch mix. He controls – he has above average control of all of his offerings. Um, he's starting to establish a track record of performance at high levels. You mentioned, you know, 
talking back to last summer, even with the Northwoods and the Cape, and then another strong start in the Cape coupled with or combined with his Mac pitcher of the year season, I think that he may have erased or alleviated any teams of these, you know, the doubts they may have had with his, I think, poor performance in 2021 and, and spring of 2022. Um, but he is a completely different pitcher in so many ways than he was um, there. He put on a lot of good weight, believe it or not, there's still weight to add. Um, cleaned up the delivery and arm action a ton. Everything took a huge step forward. And um, I don't even think he's done progressing in that regard. So I'm with you in that it's all green flags and getting him in the, the very, very end of day one is I, I think they can be very, very happy with that because I heard similar first round, early second round chatter, um, mm. even on draft day with him. Yeah, it's it's fascinating one. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm finding myself really liking these class with just the first three players alone. But let's talk through a few more players further down the board. I think Maui Ahuna might be one of the most interesting players in the class, just given the the disparity of his his reputation as a hitter and a defender. I think one of the better defensive shortstops that that you could find in this class. We have plus grades on his fielding ability and his arm strength. He's he's super fluid and smooth and just does everything really easily defensively as a hitter that certainly was not the case for him this spring the strikeout rate jumped he obviously moved from uh, the big 12 to the sec so the competition changed a little bit but there are big contact question marks with him now i think the swing is is fast uh, there is some hand speed there but it's also a steep path there are now pitch recognition questions um, so it's kind of surprising to hear after his 2022 season where he hit almost 400 um, that, that you'd have so many offensive question marks with, with Maui. But I think that certainly is the case and part of the reason why he wasn't a day one guy because just defensive profile, tool set, uh, the athlete, the body, his, his production entering the year, definitely would have expected him to go earlier than this. But what are the Giants getting in the fourth round with Ahuna or are there other players you want to touch on here? Because he's maybe, I'd say Ahuna scares me for a lot of reasons, but it's also obvious to see the talent that he has on the baseball field. Yeah, I, I think that he, where most of my fear with him comes from, similar to you, is at the plate and how much he's going to produce long-term. I think defensively, you can feel pretty safe about getting a an above-average, arguably plus shortstop who's going to stick at the position. Um, he's got a plus throwing arm, good range in either direction. He's a shortstop through and through. There's no doubt about that. It's just that the plate, as you mentioned, it's a really – it's a pretty looking swing, um, but it comes with some length. I'm not a huge fan of the bat path. Um, and there's yeah. below average bat to ball skills. Presently, it was a 38% miss rate at school. He really struggles picking up spin. Um, so I think that there's a lot of work to be done offensively. Um, and, you know, if the, the giants can, can refine it, obviously there, the return is going to be huge, but I think that, right now it's just you know how much is he gonna hit and and i'm again i'm i'm not really willing to to bet a whole lot on it um but again where he 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 was one of these guys that coming into the season had had first round buzz and, and you get him in the fourth for for less than you would have paid initially so um you know i think you just take the chance on developing the bat hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Any other guys you want to touch on here? I know uh, Quinn McDaniel had a good pro debut. Scott Bendura had a good pro debut. So there's some other college guys on day two that I've at least hit a little bit in pro ball. Quinn McDaniel had a pretty impressive walk rate. 
Uh, Scott Bandura hit 266, 392, 447, three homers, six doubles, um, a few bags as well. Uh, so any other players you want to mention here or maybe on day three too? Yeah, I think starting with McDaniel, I like him a lot. Mid-major banger, he hit 354 at Maine with 14 doubles, 16 home runs, walked more than he struck out. Um, he's a plus runner. I think when you watch him play and anyone that got out to watch him play, you can. he's just a baseball rat through and through. Mm. He, he kind of plays with that northeast cold weather guy chip on his shoulder, plays super, super hard. Um, again, he has the ability to affect the game in so many ways, obviously with his speed being first, he's a legit plus runner. And then also even with wood, I mean, I saw it a little in the spring with Maine, but even with wood, he's got a knack to, to find a gap or put a ball over the fence. It's a really, uh, there's some present bat speed there and, and sneaky impact. And we saw it, I think professionally early on, he hit six home runs across 29 games with a pair of doubles. Um, there was more swing and miss, understandably, and in low A San Jose than there was previously. Um, but he's a sneaky one, I, and he's a good defender over at second base, which I think that's absolutely where he ends up long term. Um, good feet, um, good actions. I think that you know he's a he's a very strong defender. And then obviously with Scott Andorra, he's another one kind of up in up in this neck of the woods in the Northeast, not totally, but. Um, being in, in Princeton and New Jersey. Uh, but I, I think with Bandora, again, it was a really interesting path with him. It were, injuries nagged him a little bit early in his career. Um, and he was finally fully healthy this year. And we saw what he is. And I mean, he hit 360 with 13 doubles, 12 bombs. Um, you want to talk about someone that looks the part and he might be the poster boy for it. Um, 6'4", 190. Really, really great body. It's a big league body. Um, and it's he's an above average runner. It's plus raw power to the pull side. Um, the approach and, and contact took a step forward from what it was in 2022. And it's, a, I think, a very interesting package here with Bandura. And, and even more fascinating just in the fact that he comes from an Ivy League school. But early returns again, I think that the giants can be happy about, about, you know, who they got in this draft and then also what they've been doing so far. I mean, a lot of these guys we've talked about already have, have been performing well professionally and Bandura is mm-hmm. another one. Um, he had two sixty six across 28 games with six doubles and three bombs, pretty good K walk. And he, he swiped a few bags as well. Yeah, I put on, so the draft theme I put on the Giants uh, immediately after the draft back in July was the BA draft board because they had so many players that are just great values based on on our draft board. Walker Martin at 52, he was ranked number 24. Joe Whitman at 69, he was ranked 35. Maui Ahuna at pick 117, he was ranked 72. Luke Schliger at pick 180, he was ranked 88. And then Jack Payton, uh, with the 330th pick of the draft, he was ranked 116 on our board. So I'm hopeful that this draft class continues to perform in Excel because that would that would make us look good. Uh, but even outside of the the BA draft board, I like a lot of the players here. Uh, just a lot of personal cheese balls and guys that I find myself admiring. So uh, very high praise for the Giants here. We'll see what they do, obviously, as we, we get beyond uh, the debut year. Yeah, Moving not on to, to our last team. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I had one more guy that I wanted to touch on super, oh, yeah, super yeah. quick. And it's a deep, deep sleeper. 
Uh, they took him in the, I think it was the 18th round, and it's Michael Rodriguez from North Greenville, mm. Division II powerhouse. 6'5", 250, left-handed pitcher, um, was one of the better D2 arms um, in the entire country this spring. 67 Ks, 8 walks, and 40 innings. Fastballs up to 95, 96 from a really difficult to pick up slot. Um, slider flash plus it's it's reliever all the way and it's you're kind of betting on two plus pitches there but um, super imposing mm-hmm. mound presence and I think has a chance to be really effective going forward yeah awesome yet another name to like in this draft class um, <laughs> all right let, let's do the Colorado Rockies they were picking number nine in this draft had one extra pick after the second round um, but in the first round with the ninth pick overall they took Tennessee right-handed pitcher Chase Dullander in the second round, they doubled up on college fishing. They took Wake Forest left-handed pitcher Sean Sullivan. In the supplemental second round, they took San Diego State catcher Cole Carrick, selecting him as a catcher. Um, in the third round, they took South Carolina right-handed pitcher Jack Mahoney. In the fourth round, they took Ohio State left-handed pitcher Isaiah Coupe. And then in the fifth round, they took UCLA third baseman Kyle Karras. So it was another very college-heavy draft, very college pitcher-heavy overall. Uh, among the top 10 rounds, they took six pitchers, uh, excuse me, seven college pitchers. I think there's a lot of sense uh, to, to be had of this strategy for Colorado. It's obviously incredibly difficult to get premium pitching on the free agent market to want to come pitch in Colorado. So in some ways, you really have to develop uh, a lot of arms internally. It makes sense. It's just a, a really tough ballpark to deal with. And I think they have a lot of pitching talent here i mean again this is another player where if you had asked us on day one of the college season this spring if chase dullander would go number nine overall i think me and you would be like laughing about what kind of overslot payment he got to get there uh because he entered the year as the consensus top pitching prospect in the class kind of neck and neck with dylan cruz as a favorite to be off the board uh in that one spot obviously didn't have the follow-up season to his 2022 campaign that he wanted. But I do think you can make a case that he's still the the second most talented pitcher in this class after Paul Skeens. It's a buttery smooth delivery and operation. It's a plus slider and fastball when they're both on. It's above average control. He's got a curveball and a changeup that can be solid pitches as well. Uh, I think for him, it's just going to be a matter of, can you get him back to that 2022 version where the fastball life is just a little bit better, where the slider is just a little bit more crisp and consistent, um, but I just really love the way Dolander does it. I'm a bit uh, bummed that this is destination, again, just because Colorado is such a tough place to pitch. But if they're able to get him to that 2022 version, you've got a chance for a front-of-the-rotation arm. And if you can develop that as as a, a Colorado Rocky, that's incredibly valuable. Yeah, I'm honestly a fan of, of, of this draft class, at least early on with the arms that they took with Dolander, Sullivan, um in coupe especially yeah um, i feel like you've been uh you've been kind of the sean sullivan um hype leader for a long time you've been on him for quite a while (laughs) yeah no i'm excited about him obviously being a mass guy but with dolander as you said i think just i i mean coming into this season there was one one chatter with dolander there were jacob Degrom comps and we had hit on this you know in the spring and then even on some of these earlier draft pods with, with the expectations that he had coming into the season, it was almost a bit unfair and going to be impossible for him to live up to really regardless of how he did, unless he put together a Paul Skeens-esque type of season, which there were people thinking that that's what he was going to do. 
Um, and I know that he still took a step back. Um, but as you mentioned, it's a, a very smooth and easy delivery. Um, it's, I think, front end of the rotation upside. You're not taking someone, especially an arm, um, ninth overall that doesn't have front end of the rotation upside. But fastball 95, 98, it's at its best when he's harnessing that run and ride it has. Well, sometimes he, when he got hit this year, his fastball got hammered and was just kind of, I'd say, flat for the most part. But when it did have that run through the zone, it was most effective. There's a start that sticks out in my mind, especially against Gonzaga, where um, you know he could have signaled it was coming and they still would have swung and missed at it. So I think getting more consistent, consistently that shape with it is going to be a key. Mm-hmm. And then again, the slider was plus. The changeup is solid above average. Um, and there was one start with Dolander, one stat with Dolander that I saw, um, and it was in his regional start. His first inning ERA is 10.93 this year. Well, <laughs> after the first, it was 1.29. So, I mean, if he was getting yeah. through the first inning this year, there was a pretty safe bet that Dolander was going to give you seven, eight, maybe even a CG shutout. Um, and I think that it wasn't really a pitch usage thing because he threw his fastball 69% of the time in the first, um, which wasn't much mm-hmm. higher than his overall usage rate of 66 it might just take him a bit to get a feel for his offerings, especially the slider. So um, yeah, there was also I, I, early in the year too. I don't know if this extended throughout the year, but there was definitely some, some prominent pitch tipping rumors early on. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that actually was the case. Cause I had people, former players reaching out to me and saying, yeah, this they're tipping pitches here and I'm watching it on TV and can see it. So I hope that's the case too. I know there was a lot of, trying to sort of diagnose what Dolander was doing wrong. There's some very slight mechanical tweaks that we wrote about that, that could have impacted the shape of his fastball that could have played into it. I think also just the fact that his command wasn't quite as precise as in the past. Um, there are a lot of really tiny things that I think he can fix and basically go straight back to the pitcher that we saw last year, who was like one of the best in the country. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, the, the, um, the control was there. I mean, the strike, he was in and around the strike zone. It was just a matter of the quality of the strikes that he was, that he was throwing mm-hmm. this year. So I think that, you know, baseball, it's the oldest and probably most annoying cliche. It's a game of inches. I mean, he was, yeah. I mean, he's right there to being, you know, back to where he was in 22. So he's someone that I'm still really excited about. Yeah. So tell me about Sean Sullivan. He and the uh, invisible fastball. Uh, it seems like he, he can get that fastball by anyone. Why do you like him so much, Peter? Yeah, so I mean, really interesting package here with Sullivan. Um, 6'4", 190 pounds. He throws from that Chris Sale, low three quarters, like limbs flying at you. He's got that type of delivery, um, but he's super, super effective. Obviously, it it's a really, really uncomfortable bat. Um, talking to some opposing hitters that that went through that Wake Forest rotation this year of Rhett Lauder, um, Josh Hartle, and Sean Sullivan, um, a lot of guys said that Sean Sullivan was the hardest to face of the three, which is really high praise, obviously, for anyone that is familiar with Rhett Lauder and then especially Josh Hartle. Um, mm. And he, again, he, he started at Northwestern where he was a Friday guy as a true freshman, transferred to Wake this year where he's a draft-eligible sophomore, and um, he just exploded 111 Ks in 69 and two-thirds innings. Threw his fastball 70% of the time. Um, I mean, it's just super, super tough on opposing hitters. It'll, I think it was up to 94, 95, but it'll pitch 90, 93. It explodes out of that arm slot. Obviously there's 
there's plenty of deception. I think we're pitchers almost to an extent, maybe work opposite their, their arm slot or release point. It, it maximizes effectiveness, so to speak, especially with these lower slot guys with their heaters. I think where Sullivan almost works down to up a little bit, like when he's working the top of the strike zone and elevating, I think that's super, super uncomfortable and difficult and allows it to play a lot harder than the velocity might suggest. It gets on hitters quick. It's lively through the zone. Um, I thought the slider also flashed above average and plus potential. And the changeup again was, was it, it flashed plus at times as well. And in his mm. pro debut, it was four innings, but it was as dominant as you could have hoped for. It was, he didn't allow a hit. He walked one, he struck out 10. Um, and I think it, the fact he performed that well against metal um, is only going to serve him, him that much better against wood. And I think it's, it's definite middle of the rotation upside um, and room to even add a couple of ticks of velocity where he's instead of 90, 93, he's pitching two to four, maybe even two to five and rearing mm. back for a six or seven. So I think that with Dolander and Sullivan, you know, being the, the potential future of your rotation, um, that's a really exciting one, two punch in, in my mind. Mm. Yeah, no, there's quite a bit, uh, quite a lot to like about both those players. Uh, and then kind of moving on to Cole Carrig. I know there's another pitcher that, that you might want to get to in Isaiah Coupe, but Carrig being the next pick, he's super fascinating. Set aside all of the things, all the questions offensively and, and like contrasting that with a really strong pro debut offensively. Like the fact that he can play shortstop, second, third, catch, play outfield, play center field. Uh, and play a lot of those positions really well. Um, I think he has a chance to be a plus defender at a premium position. I have no clue what that's going to wind up being, but he's got huge arm strength. I mean, he, he turned in a few 100-mile-per-hour throws at the MLB Draft Combine. That was pretty eye-opening. Um, he moves around well in the outfield at shortstop. I thought his actions as a catcher were pretty impressive. He's a runner. So he's like a really impressive, versatile athlete that – if he can hit, he could be this sort of Ben Zobris super utility guy. If a team wanted him to do that, um, maybe it's better for him to just try and settle in at one premium position and be an everyday guy. I'm not sure. Just the fact that you have those options available with him makes him a, a super fun player. Uh, but also what he did in his pro debut offensively is pretty surprising to me. The big knock on him this spring was that the offense was a real question mark. He was too aggressive with his swings. He was chasing out of the zone. He was hitting the ball on the ground. He was making a lot of really soft contact and kind of slapping and dashing a lot. That really helped him fall down the board for us. Uh, he went higher than where his draft ranking wound up being at number 65 overall. And then in his pro debut, he hits 350, 408, 600, hits five home runs, five triples, 10 doubles, steals 13 bags, uh, and the strikeout rate was just 21%, 8% walk rate. So pretty loud pro debut, especially for a guy with this sort of defensive ability and versatility. Where are you at on, on Cole Carrick, Peter? So coming out of the summer, at least in 2022, you want to talk about someone that's a personal cheese ball. Um, this was before I even knew what it was. He was, he was exactly that um, <laughs> for me. You know, 6'3", 200, flies around the field. Um, has experience at all three premium positions at catcher, short, and center. I think that when all is said and done, I like him best in the outfield. I think he's a good athlete. 
he runs well. I thought he took good routes to the baseball and center and the arm strength is obviously going to play out there where it's, I, I think it's a plus arm and center. And you mentioned the biggest thing with Carrig was the, I think, lack of impact and maybe lack of loudness, so to speak, offensively this year mm-hmm. at San Diego State. I mean, it was fine. He had 303, eight doubles, five home runs, and five triples and two home runs. But there really wasn't anything super, super loud there. Um, but again, I think that's where his summer performance really helped and in his spring season in 2022 helped him out. And I think early returns, again, I've been really happy. I know the Rockies are too, obviously, but I've been super excited with what I've seen so far with Carrick, both at the complex and in Fresno and in especially the 23 games in Fresno where he had three twenty-six with four doubles, four home runs, four triples and three home runs. Um, again, stole six bases. I think that in Colorado where the ball really fought, where the ball flies, you know, in Fresno, obviously Albuquerque, um, and, and of course at Coors Field and, and their other affiliates, I think that the power is going to play up even as to what, you know, he grades out as. Um, I think that there's 15 plus home run upside here with Kerrig. And then obviously on the base paths as well, you're going to get it, I think, 15 to 20 plus stolen bases as well. And I think that, you know, the hit tool is is solid above average. So I think it's an exciting an appealing profile all around who, who is going to stick at a premium position. It's just a matter of where. Yeah. He maybe is probably, he's probably one of the most fascinating players for me next year. Just seeing what sort of hitter he is. What are what does the exit velocity look like? What do the angles look like coming off the bat? Like, is he hitting a bunch of ground balls still? Is he elevating more consistently? Uh, because if he's doing all those things, if it, if it was just maybe an approach issue uh, or maybe it's just a strength issue, you'd mentioned how he still had a pretty projectable frame. Like, uh, my opinion on him could really pivot 180 degrees depending on what he shows in a full season next year because just the the floor that he has as a defender and as a premium uh, a premium defender at a premium position and as a runner and with the arm like he's got all the supplemental tools and ability uh, so if he if he adds hitting and hitting with impact to that I, I think this could be a massive steal so I'm really intrigued for his 2024 season. Big time. And then the, and then the last guy, at least early on that I wanted to hit on was Isaiah Coupe from Ohio state, small lefty, but the ability to spin the baseball is, is what separates him here. I think Um, the curveball and slider are both distinct breaking balls in their plus offerings. He's spinning the the curveball at over 3000 RPMs. Um, It's got a ton of depth and a ton of teeth. Um, and the strike throwing took a real step forward. He's not going to have premium velocity hardly ever. Um, he'll be 90 to 90, hopefully 90 to 93 eventually when all is said and done. Um, right now he's more 89, 91. And also the, the changeup, at, at least recently after his spring season at Ohio State, it took a step forward to the point where it flashed above average. He, he turned over a couple of plus changeups. Um, but again, with Coupe, it's the ability to spin that separates him here. It's back end of the rotation type. It's a back end of the rotation type guy, I think. Um, but again, uh, someone that I think is going to be really effective professionally. And you you throw him in there with Dolander, Sullivan, Dolander and Sullivan. That's a, a really exciting trio that you have to follow um, hmm. coming up. So 
um, even with Colorado and the difficulty and how, and how difficult it is to, to throw at Coors Field, um, you know, these are as, as good a trio as, as you can get, I think, collegiately. Yeah, one of the other pitchers that I was intrigued by with, with Colorado specifically was Kate Denton in the sixth round. Um, he was the stopper of the year, uh, the award given to the best relief pitcher in college baseball in 2023. He had a really loud College World Series appearance for Oral Roberts. Um, and he's got this sort of east-west profile, high ground ball rate, low home run fly ball rate that that might be really effective if he can get to the big league level with Colorado. It's been back-to-back seasons of a ground ball rate above 50%. He also has a low 80 slider that generated a, about a 45% miss rate this spring. He pitches in the mid-90s with this heavy running fastball that really pairs nicely with that slider uh, from a lower slot, has been up to 99. The strikeout and walk rates in his pro debut are solid. Uh, he got hit around a little bit. Um, so I'm curious, like, how he's going to look over a full season, but to get him in the sixth round, I think is maybe a pretty good value. They paid him $500,000 in that range, but he's a, a really sneaky arm that I'm excited about. And I think could his skills and what he does could maybe play to the weaknesses of, of the Rockies home ballpark really well, if he's able to get there. Yeah. And when you talk about, at least when we were talking about where do the top college relievers go, in the draft it's either the very back end of day one or early on day two and Denton was one of if not eh, I'd say he was one of the best relievers in college this year and I think getting him in the sixth when there was I know third or fourth round chatter on him um, I think that the Rockies can be really excited about you mentioned it it's kind of a it's a really low slot slingy arm action sinker slider combo it's a, a bowling ball sinker coupled with a slider that I thought when I saw him was a plus pitch, it's reliever all the way. And I think him getting hit around at least in, in pro ball in, in Fresno was a byproduct of him just being gassed after uh, a college season in which he had a, a hefty, hefty workload. They were throwing him twice every three days and really relying on him to go two, three, sometimes four innings, especially late in the season. So I think he was just dead. Um, but he's a strike thrower. He's around the zone. And especially with that two pitch combination where I think both the sinkers and above average one, the sliders teetering on plus, I think it's, it's absolutely above average. I think that mm. you have the makings of a, of a solid back end reliever. Yeah, absolutely. I've got, I've got one more name that I wanted to mention. This is a day three pick and that's Bryson hammer left-handed pitcher out of Dallas Baptist. Um, I almost just kind of have beef with him because with a name like Bryson Hammer, <laughs> he should be throwing a curveball as his primary secondary. But he actually he threw a changeup as his most used secondary, his most consistent bat misser this spring. Uh, we did have above average grades on both the curveball and the changeup, so I am glad that he at least has a chance for an above average curveball. It's a low 80s power curve with good downward bite, impressive depth. Uh, if he can refine the control a little bit and make the most out of those pitches, maybe add a little bit more velocity in the future. He's mostly been 92, 93, up to 96, uh, but really didn't use that pitch a lot. Pitch off those pretty solid secondaries. He's an intriguing day three arm for me from the left side. They signed him for $200,000, so that's a fun one. Any other guys to mention here in the Rockies draft class later on? Um, Another arm that I liked, and it was a day three one. He actually went, I think it was 
either I think it was one pick before um, Bryson Hammer or one round before Bryson Hammer. It's six five lefty Stu Fleslin from Washington. Um, pitchability is the name of the game here with Fleslin. He's not going to blow you away velo wise. It's really eighty nine ninety one. But again, similar to I, I guess similarly to Co- Coupe and just the fact that they're pitchability guys, they aren't really at all similar other than that. Um, but anyways. It, the changeup is a plus pitch and it's an effective slider. It's uh, a back end of the rotation guy. And I think that for the 11th or it, it, at least early on day three, that's a, a relatively safe-ish pick. I think that he's got a, a reasonably high floor, at least for, a, at least for a college arm. Nice. All right. Well, I'll, again, I'll, I don't want to cut you off entirely. If there are more names you want to run through, please do Peter, but it is a fun draft class. I think, 13 of, of the 21 picks were college arms, so clearly trying to reinforce uh, the pitching staff here. And then if, if Cole Kerrig is able to be just a better hitter than we expected him to be, I think that that's pretty exciting overall. Um, but which of these draft classes that we've talked about today do you find yourself being most drawn to, Peter? Do you have a favorite? I have a clear yeah, it's hard. favorite. Yeah, it's hard to go against the the Dodgers just because of, of – how fantastic they are at developing talent and the track record they have. Um, but that's such a chalky and boring pick. Um, so I'm down <laughs> to the giants and the Rockies and I think I know which way that you're going to go. So for the sake of it, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Rockies. <laughs> I think that they have a lot of exciting guys um, and, and future impact big leaguers in this draft class. Yeah, I love it. I, I found myself really appreciating the Rockies as we we moved through it, but I'm going to stick with the Giants. You're right. Uh, that that one's just too too much fun for me of the first three picks. I think all of them are either right on point on value with where they were taken or just excellent value overall. Um, I'm really thrilled with, with Bryce Eldridge's debut. I'm as high as I, I think I could be on a player like that at this point, so... Uh, I'm putting all my eggs in the Bryce Eldridge basket and Walker Martin and Joe Whitman. Uh, two pretty good follow-ups for me as well. So I'll go Giants. But really all these have been fun to talk through. I think maybe with every team we've we've complimented uh, an NOS team with just a, a value pick that we were kind of surprised they were able to get away with. So um, pretty fun division to talk through. And that wraps our draft reviews, Peter. Nice work. Yeah, that was fun to go through. I'm excited to flip the page to 2024. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get out of y'all's hair for today. Thank you guys for listening. Peter, before we hop off, anything you want to plug or mention, um, then we'll get out of the listener's hair and let them enjoy their weekend or their day or whenever they're listening to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, freshman spotlight pieces continue rolling them out for at least the next few weeks, um, every Monday and Friday, tomorrow, or I guess today when you're listening to it, it'll be Hunter Dietz, freshman left-hander from Arkansas, who I think is going to have a pretty prominent role for the Hogs. So um, excited to keep that going. And then obviously, um, the weekly draft podcast with Carlos, and then maybe one more Cape pod with Jeff, at least for the 2023 cycle, or at least a check-in to see who might be signed to play in 2024. So exciting stuff all around on the horizon. Nice. Awesome. Well, as Peter said, just because the draft reviews are over does not mean the draft pod is going anywhere. We're planning to do these weekly. Uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed them as well. Uh, But for Peter, I'm Carlos. Thank you for listening, everybody. We will see you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.